Um, I'll tell you something that happened to me a couple years ago. Have you ever wanted to get LASIK surgery? Anybody ever LASIK surgery? Yeah, I, I thought about that a couple years ago, and I thought, well, that, that sounds like a good idea. Because a friend of mine, he said to me, he said, hey, Mac, it, it's painless, it's simple, it's fast. You, you go in, they laser your eye, 10 minutes later, you walk out, and, and you can see. It's fantastic. So, wow, that, that sounds really good. But that's not how it worked out for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I go in, I see the doctor. And, uh, hey, guys, can I get those side window things up there? Thank you. So, so I go in, I see the doctor. And, and as I go in to see the doctor, he looks at my eyes, does all the, you know, testing, all that sort of stuff. And he comes back to me and says, uh, Mr. Lake, I'm really sorry, but you're not a candidate for the, for the LASIK surgery. But we have an alternative for you, an alternative surgery. And he began to explain what this alternative surgery was. And as he told me how it's done, it scared me to death. Scared me so bad. I said, I don't, I don't think I want anything to do with that. But two months later, I went back and I said, all right, I think I'll, I think I'll try it. You want to hear how it works? All right, here, here's how it goes down. So I go to the hospital. You have to go to the hospital for this one. Not doctors, you can go, go to the hospital. And so I go in the hospital and I'm in the pre-op. And the nurse comes in, she looks at me, she says, now, Mr. Lake, did you take the little purple pill that we gave you last night? Did you take that this morning? I said, little purple pill? I don't remember a little purple pill. I didn't get a little purple pill. You know, no, no. And she said, I mean, she, you know, I'm like, that's not the face you want to see when you're getting ready to go, Ooh, and when you're getting ready to go for surgery, no? And so I said, no, I didn't get that. And she said, all right, be right back. She went and got the purple pill. She gave it to me. Because during this surgery, you're supposed to be asleep, right? You're supposed to be totally out of it. And so I took the little purple pill. Now, 10 minutes later, they come in and they start wheeling me uh, to, to the operating room. And I went, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Wait a minute now. I'm fully alert. Your little purple pill hasn't kicked in yet. I am totally aware of what's going on. And the nurse looked at me and she said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. I do believe I know that I'm aware of everything. No, 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 no. She said, you know, you're not. She said, this pill has an amnesia effect. So you won't feel a thing. You won't remember a thing. I said, all right, you're the expert, right? So they wheel me in and they, they, and, and they strap me down. They strap my legs, my arms, and my neck to this bed. And then then they take my eye and they, they take this contraption and they, they fix it to where it will not close. It's totally wide open, all right? And now, being fully alert and aware of everything that's going on, I watch the doctor take his scalpel and come down towards my eye and cut an incision in my eye. And at that moment, I went, everything went totally black. I'm panicking. I'm, sitting, I'm just squeezing the rails. I even felt it. Not, not enough to where it hurt, but enough that it freaks you out, you know? And some later, oh, you know, I just can't wait to get through this thing. And so here's what he does. He takes a syringe and he, then he takes a contact lens that's perfectly customized for my vision, inserts it in the syringe like a taco. It's all folded up. He takes the syringe, sticks it in the incision of my eye and slowly squeezes it out until the contact lens is perfectly situated inside my eyeball. 10 minutes later, 
It was done. It was over with. 11 minutes later, I was totally out of it and not aware of anything going on. Thank you very much. But I woke up a couple hours later. And when I woke up a couple hours later, I could see. I was amazing. I could see perfectly 2020, everything, 35 years wearing glasses and contacts and all that. And I can see perfectly. Isn't that cool? Scary, but cool. Now, you know something? If I could do anything for my children, if I could do anything for for teenagers, if I could do anything for people who who have hurts and habits and hangups in their life that's just destroying, if I could do one thing for everybody, it would be to permanently insert the lens of God's truth over the eye of your heart so that you would always see yourself as God sees you, regardless of what people say or regardless of what happens in your life. So many people live their lives questioning their value and doing everything they can to get people to love them. And we, guys, here's what we do. If we're not careful, we can begin to live our our lives day in and day out. We make decisions based on the insecurities that we feel. You ever catch yourself doing that? I do all the time. Drives me crazy when I let the insecurities of my life control me. When, when I'm afraid I'm going to fail so I don't do the thing or try the thing that I really, really want to try. When I'm afraid of disappointing people at work And so I work all these extra hours just so I can live up to everybody's expectations. Or when I'm afraid to say no to people because I want them to like me and therefore I put their needs first rather than the needs of my family and I get my priorities all out of whack just because I want people to like me. Does does this connect? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you find yourself doing these things? You're so afraid of being rejected that you compromise your values and, 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 and try to blend in with everybody in your neighborhood or, or in your school just so you don't stand out and be different, so you can be accepted, valued, and loved. Some of you, it impacts your marriage. You're so afraid of being vulnerable because you're afraid of your spouse's reaction that you don't live in, in honesty and authenticity with one another. So you settle for mediocrity in your marriage because you're so afraid of what your spouse is going to think about you. Some of you are so scared that somebody's going to be better than you at something else that you, you live your life with a critical tongue criticizing everybody else to build yourself up and to make yourself feel better. Guys, when insecurities get a hold of us, they influence our decision. They poison us. When we're controlled, listen, when we are controlled by our insecurities, we begin to live according to the will of others, the perceived will of others for our lives, rather than the will of God for our lives. Now, where do these insecurities come from? Well, we know. They come from past failures. They come from mistakes. They come from being criticized, being judged, being teased, being physically, emotionally, verbally verbally abused. We know where they come from. But really, honestly, where where do our insecurities, why do they land in our soul in such a way that they get an anchor in our soul and they impact the way we live and divert us from God's will? Why? 
Because ultimately, our insecurities come from a failure to see ourselves as God sees us. We determine our worth, our value, our sense of being loved based on what others think, say, or how they treat us rather than what God says about us. I've been mulling over Psalm 139 this week. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen. But I've been looking at this passage, and in these 24 verses, David is reflecting on the character of God. And he says, God, you are all-knowing. God, you are everywhere. God, you are all-powerful. And here's what I love about this psalm. When David is, is talking about all these things and describing the character of God, he's not just talking about God. He's actually talking to God. You see, this is a very personal psalm. And this is the way you have to look at it through, through, that, through that lens. And so in, in, this, in this chapter, Psalm 139, 34 times, 34 times David says, you, talking to God. He's having a conversation with God. He says, he says you are with me. You have numbered my days. You know my thoughts. And then in, in verse 13 and 14, he says, you created me. You created me. Psalm 139, verse 13, 14, probably the most familiar section of that psalm. Look with me at what David says. He says, God, for you have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. He says, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully means astonishing. Wonderfully means distinct. Those two Hebrew words, so you put them together. David is saying, God, he's sitting here talking to God. Have personal conversation with God. He says, God, I'm an astonishing, amazing, one-of-a-kind piece of work that you have created. Now, so often when we read Psalm 139 and we read this section, We talk about the intricacies of how God has created the human body. But that's, yes, that's true. It is what he's talking about, but it's more than that. You see, in this psalm, get this, David says, God, you have created what? My inmost being. The Hebrew word is literally kidney. Now, God, you have created my kidney. What, what 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 do you mean by that? When Hebrew thought, they referred to the kidney as the very core of who you are. That's where your emotions reside. That's the being, that's the very essence of who you are. In other words, David is saying, God, you have done an amazing job creating my personality, giving me passions. You have created the innermost being of who I am. And then look at this. Do you see David's response? What does he say about this? I praise you. I praise you. The Hebrew word is not the typical Hebrew word, halal. Instead, it's the Hebrew word yada, which means to throw my arms up in adoration and surrender. God, thank you for creating me who you created me to be. Now get this, get this. Look at this next phrase. For your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. If you have your Bibles, underline that little phrase. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well because, guys, this is what absolutely captured my soul this week when I read it. 
David is saying this. The better interpretation of that little phrase is my soul knows that full well. My soul knows that full well. So in other words, David is saying, God, you have done this amazing job of creating who I am, not just my body, but my being. You have done an amazing job creating that. And I know that to the very depths of my soul. God, I am convinced to the very depths of my soul that I'm special in your eyes. I'm convinced the very depth of my soul that the personality I have, the passions that I have have been given by you. I know that to the depths of my soul. David's saying, God, I sort of like how you created me and I know you do too. Can I tell you something? Do you know how many people live their entire lives never liking themselves? Never loving themselves? How in the world can we love our neighbor as ourselves if we don't love ourselves? It's got to start there. And so many people go through their whole lives never liking themselves, never loving themselves. Can I ask you a question? How many of you believe that God created you? How many of you believe that? Believe that? Yeah. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you criticize his creation? <laughs> we do it all the time, don't we? Why? Because we, we have this sense of insecurity inside ourselves and we, we allow ourselves to be controlled by these external forces that cause us to feel bad about ourselves. So here's the one thing that I want you to get today, okay? If you don't get anything else, here's the one thing. Here it is. Seeing myself through the lens of God's truth frees me to be who God wants me to be. That's it. Seeing myself through the lens of God's truth frees me to be who God created me to be. You get that? It frees you up in so many ways. Now, there are two factors that Satan uses to fuel our insecurities and sabotage our sense of worth. Number one is this, other people's opinions. Satan will use other people's opinions of us to fuel our sense of insecurities and sabotage our sense of self-worth. David knew this. David wrestled with this. In Psalm 55, he wrote this. He says, my thoughts trouble me and and I am distraught at what? At the voice of my enemy and the stares of the wicked. Teenagers, (laughs) you ever struggle with that? My emotions, I'm so upset. Why? Because the voice of everybody else talking about me and their stares as I go down the hallway. And what happens? It fuels our insecurities. And when we allow that to fuel our insecurities, we begin to behave in ways to be what other people want us to be rather than what God wants us to be. And we get off track and we don't become what God wants us to become. So many people are living their lives trying to be what other people want him to be. Now, I don't know what David was, was experiencing when, when he wrote these words, but I know that David was well acquainted with rejection. Hey, he was the youngest of what, eight brothers? He knew what it was. To, to, you know, he, he took some teasings. And then when he was a teenager, he moved into the, into the palace with King Saul, who grew jealous of him, tried to kill him. And David lived nearly 13 plus years of his life on the run because Saul was seeking him out, trying to kill him. Listen, 
what other people say about us can have a significant emotional impact on our sense of worth and cause us to operate out of insecurities. Some of you, you've got voices going on in your head. It's the voice of that that demanding father telling you that you will never be good enough. That voice of that criticizing, that critical mother who was always nagging at you. The voice of that, that former boss who was just berating you. Or for some of you, it's that nickname that you were given as a child by a cruel set of friends. And you've allowed it to define who you are. Listen, if we allow our worth to be determined by what other people say and think about us, we are in trouble because not everybody's going to like you. And there are voices every day that speak our way, that, that, that try to build that sense of insecurity within you and sabotage your sense of worth, whether it's intentional or unintentional sometimes. <laughs> my, my, uh, my oldest son, Brandon, when he was five years old, Cindy and I took him to the doctor. And we go in this doctor's office, and I think the waiting room was maybe 12 by 12. It was a really, really small room. So it was me, Cindy, and, and little Brandon. And then on the other side of the room, it was a mama with her one-year-old baby. And, and that mama's sitting there with the baby on her lap. Well, I guess Brandon got bored or something, and he decides he's going to walk over there to that little baby. And he walks over to the baby, and he takes it by the feet, and he starts talking baby talk to it. And I'm going, I'm so proud of this kid. I mean, he's a little socialite. Look at him showing off his people skills. What a little gentleman. She has to be impressed with my son. And so he's taking her feet and he's wiggling her feet. And then all of a sudden, he looks that little baby deep in the eyes and he said, is your mama ugly? Is your mama ugly? Yes, your mama's ugly. (laughs) Oh, man, we were humiliated. You know, all of us have somebody. (laughs) You got it. You got somebody in your life. You know it. They may not say these words, you ugly, but they're saying you ugly. (laughs) You got somebody in your life who's saying, you know what? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. Your batting average isn't high enough. Your grade point average is too low. You're too big. You're too small. You look funny. And those words come at us and we try to absorb them, but they damage our sense of worth. They damage our sense of security. And it causes us to begin to live out of those insecurities, which will lead us to trouble. Here's the danger. When somebody says something negative about me, typically we have one of two responses, don't we? Number one, we fulfill what they say about us. Number two, we spend the rest of our lives trying to prove them wrong. Either way, you're allowing their words to have power over you and determine the path of your life rather than the truth of God having control over you and determine the path of your life. Don't spend the rest of your life trying to become what everybody else wants you to become. See yourself through the lens of, the, of, of, of God's truth and become what God wants you to become on a daily basis. Now, there's a second factor that, that can, can foster our insecurities and sabotage our sense of worth, and it's this, the, the pain of our past, the pain of our past. Hey, listen to this story, okay? In Luke chapter 8, listen to this. Great story. Jesus is on his way somewhere, 
and the crowds are almost crushing him. Crowds are everywhere, got it? All right, and a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, had some disease, bleeding for 12 years, but nobody could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and she touched the edge of his, of his cloak and immediately she was healed. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around you. Everybody's pressing in against you. And Jesus said, no, 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 somebody touched me. I know it because the power's gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and she fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. And she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus looked at her and he said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now here's a lady who has lived a miserable life for 12 years. Extremely painful past. She's lived with shame, isolation, and rejection. We don't know what the the exact medical issue was that she had, but we know that she tried everything. From Mark's gospel, he lets us know that she tried every doctor. Nobody could find a remedy for, for, for what was wrong with her. It's interesting because in the Jewish book of traditions, there are 11 different cures for this type of disease. Some are medicinal, some are superstitions. And there's no doubt she had tried all of them, nothing worked. One of those cures was to take the ashes of an ostrich egg, which I have no idea why this would work, ashes of an ostrich egg, wrap them in a linen cloth and carry them in the summer, and then carry them in a cotton cloth in the winter. And, and she had tried crazy stuff like that. Nothing worked for her. And so now, in a moment of desperation, she makes her way through the crowd. She comes up from behind Jesus and she touches him on, the, on, his, on his robe and instantly she's healed. Now listen, if you look through scripture and you see when Jesus healed people, people came up to Jesus right in front and said, Jesus, would you touch me? Would you heal me? Would you help me? But not this lady. She came up from behind him without a word. Now, to understand why she did this, you have to understand that this lady had been condemned and ostracized and isolated by her community. They viewed her as unclean. It impacted every aspect of her life. Sexually, she couldn't, she couldn't have relations with her husband. Domestically, she couldn't clean her house. Maternally, she couldn't have children. Spiritually, she wasn't allowed to go into the temple for worship. Physically, she was exhausted. Socially, she was isolated and made fun of. It was literally illegal for her to touch anyone, or if she did, she would be, uh, the, the penalty was death. So for 12 years, she lived with a sense of isolation and shame. No wonder she came up from behind Jesus. She didn't feel worthy of Jesus' attention. You see, this lady All she wanted was a little bit of God. That's all. Just a little bit of God. She tried everything. Nothing had worked. She's just tormented inside. She didn't know what to do. And so if she could just come up behind Jesus and just get a little bit of God, all I want, I don't want to bother him. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to detract from him. I, I just want a little bit of God. Boom, she was healed. She just thought, I'll just quietly go away. And guys, I think this is where so many people are at today in their relationship with God. They don't feel worthy of God's attention. Past sins, past mistakes, 
past failures cause us to have this sense of insecurity and we begin to operate out of this insecurity and we're just in this turmoil and then we get to this point of desperation where we just go, you know what? If I can just have a little bit of God, I know I don't deserve it. I should, I, God, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to take your time. I know you've got other big people to worry about and big things to worry about, but God, if I can just have a little bit of you just to fix my problem enough, I will go away and leave you alone. So many people operate like that. I asked my small group of guys one day, I say, guys, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God likes you? And they started laughing at me. I said, no, I'm serious. Do you believe God likes you? And they went, never thought about that before. And it hit me. Truth is, guys, I was saved when I was nine years old. I know in the depths of my heart, God loves me. I know that, convinced of it. But to be honest with you, there are days I don't know that God likes me. I struggle with that. I I know he doesn't like some of the things I do sometimes, but I'm talking about who I am. Sometimes I just think I get on God's nerves. I annoy him. Do you think God likes you? Can I tell you something? Not only does he love you, he likes you. He designed you. He created you the way you are so that he might enjoy you. I love what Jesus did for this lady. I love this. This old girl, she came up behind Jesus. She, she touched him. She was healed. She got what she wanted. She was on her way. She was leaving. She was happy. Her problem was fixed. She didn't want to stop Jesus, take his time. Did you see what Jesus did? Jesus stopped and began to talk to her. Now you have to understand what was going on at the moment. It makes it even more significant. If you look at Luke chapter eight, you'll remember that Jairus, who was one of the most prominent religious leaders in that city had just come up to Jesus. And he said, my 12 year old daughter is dying. I need your help. This is an emergency. Jesus is on a 911 call surrounded by people. Jesus takes off. He's getting ready to go to to Jairus house where he can help this little girl. When, when that lady touched him and was healed and she was fixed, she could have been on her way. But Jesus said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Time out. I want to take time to deal with and you know Jairus is twiddling his thumbs, wringing his hands, going, can we get on? Do you know who she is? Forget her. She's of no value. Go help my 12-year-old daughter. This is an old lady. Can you please go? This is an emergency. And Jesus said, no. I, Jesus stopped and took the time to meet with this lady and talk to this lady. And listen to what he says. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Of all people, he looked at her and he called her daughter. Nowhere else in scripture do we hear Jesus calling anyone daughter. But he looks at this lady right there in front of the crowd that had ostracized her, criticized her, isolated her. And he looks and he says, you are daughter. Do you know what that would have done for that lady? (laughs) He's saying, you are family. You are accepted. You are valued. I value you. I love you. I adore you. You're my daughter would totally change the way she saw herself. I have a daughter. She's 16 now, growing up on me. But when she was six years old, she signed up to play on the little league basketball team. And so uh, I, I, since I, I love her, want to be with her, I decided to be her coach. I remember the very first game. She runs out there on the court and you know, when you're coaching, you can stand right at that age. You can stand right there on the court too. So I'm standing on the court. I'm coaching the game. But you guys, honestly, 
I know there's 10 kids on the court, but I only saw one. It was her. I mean, I like my daughter. I enjoy enjoying my daughter. And so I'm out there on the court, supposed to be coaching the game, and I'm just watching her. She's clueless. She doesn't know what's going on. You know, she's just running back and forth. She has no idea. And and so (laughs) it was hilarious. She runs down the court, and she stops at the foul line like this, and she's prissy, and she's still prissy. And so she stands there like this, sticks out in her hand like this, and she's looking at her press on nails while everybody's, you know, doing their thing. And she's doing this. Well, then somebody shot the ball, rebounded, and everybody took off down the court. So she, she realized something's going on, so she starts running down the court like that. But instead of going down the other end of the court, she runs to me. And I'm thinking, what, what is she doing? And she reaches in her pocket, and with that southern accent, that little girl, she said, Daddy, would you hold my lip gloss? <laughs> the girl didn't score a single point all season long. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. You see, it wasn't about her performance. It was about her being. I just enjoyed her because of her being, not because of her performance. And guys, can I tell you something? So many of you, you are walking around loaded with a sense of guilt and shame and insecurity, and you're operating every day, making decisions, big and small, based on your insecurities rather than based on the truth about what God says about you. God created you. He loves you. He created you to enjoy you. Don't run from that. Don't miss that. Some of you are spending your entire life trying to prove somebody wrong that told you something about yourself. And you're walking around and you have no sense of being valued or loved. And you're you're spending money and you're spending time with people you shouldn't be spending time. You're doing anything you can do to try to get that sense of worth and sense of love from somewhere, something. When the truth is, We've got to stop. We've got to stop this feeling of oh, my past. I've got, I got pain in my past and there are things I've done that I don't, I don't deserve. And we've got to stop this. I just want a little bit of God. God, I just want a little bit. Listen, God's saying, I want you to see yourself through the lens of truth so you can be who I created you to be. The truth is, guys, listen, listen, listen. Here's the truth. The truth is God created you with the personality you have. The truth is he's created you with the body that you have. The truth is he loves you. The truth is he forgives you. The truth is he will always be with you. The truth is he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The truth is he is faithful. The truth is he is ever present. The truth is he sent his son to die on a cross and pay the penalty for my sin and your sin because he loves us that much. So why, why in the world would we allow somebody else's opinion of me to matter? Why, why would I let those past mistakes and failures cause me to operate out of insecurities day in, day out? Can I tell you something? Listen, I want people to like me. You do too. That's just the truth. 
I want people to value me. And you do too. But can I show you a big distinction? When we live and see ourselves through the lens of God's truth, here's the difference. I don't need people to like me. And I don't need or depend on other people to make me feel valued. Because that's why I've got God. He created me. He created you. Truth is, he created us as an astonishing, remarkable being with a rich sense of purpose. And if we live in that truth rather than insecurities, we will become what God wants us to become. So what's your next step? What what are you going to do with this? For some of you, you're sitting here today and you realize, you know what? If I'm honest with myself, I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I've never given God control. I've not been comfortable with that. And today's the day you just need in the silence of your own heart, say, God, forgive me my sins. I recognize that I've sinned against you. My life's offended you. So God, the best I know how, I surrender my life to you and let him do a new work in you. Others of you, You need to make a decision that today I'm going to stop living based on what everybody else says or my past mistakes. I'm going to, I'm going to look at myself through the lens of God's truth. And I'm going to believe what God says about me is true. And I'm going to act that way. And I'm going to live that way. My wife years ago, she took a little card. It's a quote from Robert McGee. It says this, it says, I am deeply loved. I'm completely forgiven. I'm fully pleasing. I'm totally accepted by God and complete in Christ. And she took that little quote and she put it on our refrigerator years ago. And that that little three by five card has traveled with us for years from house to house. Sometimes it's on the bathroom mirror, sometimes the fridge, sometimes the desk. She did that because she understands that every day I've got to wake up and look at myself through the lens of God's truth. I got to know what God thinks about me. And when I do, it changes the direction of your life. Let's pray together. God, thanks. I thank you for the power of your truth, that when we listen to your truth, it penetrates our hearts. When we open our soul and we surrender to the full work of what you want to do, you change us in ways that bring fulfillment and joy. God, forgive us when the slightest little word, the slightest little mistake throws us off course and we begin to believe the lies of the enemy and we begin to question our value and we begin to feel unloved when God, the truth is your love never changes. So God, right now, may your Holy Spirit reach inside each one of our hearts and show us what that next step is to free us to become what you want us to become.